My name is Nathan Black. I'm an alcoholic. Uh, Scott, thank you for asking me to speak. Um, it's an honor and a privilege. And I would like to welcome all of the newcomers um, and all of our new friends to Alcoholics Anonymous. If you're, uh, if you're in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous for your very first time, I would like to welcome you home. Um, you know, if, you have, if you've gone back out and you've come back to us again, I would like to welcome you home again. And, uh, you know, that's what I found here in Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, I uh, have a sobriety date of November 1st of 2015. It's not my first sobriety date. Um, it's the first sobriety date that I've been able to hold on to for this long. And uh, that's a direct result of working the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. In uh, the big book, which Tom uh, is willing to sell you on credit, um, it gives me a few directions for for what to do up here. Um, you know, the first of them is uh, in chapter two there's a solution it says that each individual in their own language and from their own point of view describes the way in it which they establish their relationship with God and ultimately that's what I'm going to try to do tonight and if you're new and you're in here and that idea terrifies you or it shuts off uh, your ears and, and you want to stop listening I understand and I can relate um, when I arrived at the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous for the last time the last thing that I wanted to hear was something about a God or something about a spirit or something about something that cared about me more than myself. Um, but that was exactly what I found inside of the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And the other direction it gives me is to tell you what I was like, what happened, and what I'm like now. And, um, and that's very different from what it was like because for me it was circumstance and circumstance never amounted to anything. Um, you know, whether it was, it was jail or it was treatment, um, you know, it was the family that was upset. Um, Circumstance didn't seem to stop alcoholism, and it definitely didn't stop me from picking up a drink. You know, and so my experience, uh, my experience is that of a soul sickness. It's that of something inside, um, you know, that quit working. Uh, and the solution that I had at one point had uh, had stopped working, and I and I came to you guys one more time. You know, and I uh, I'm originally from Washington State. I grew up in uh, somewhere between Arlington and Everett, Washington. Um, you know. Mom, dad, dad was an alcoholic, mom was a saint. Um, you know, three sisters, none of them are alcoholic. You know, um, my dad liked to uh, get me out of preschool and I'd sit on the tailgate of his truck and, you know, he'd buy a six-pack of O'Doul's and I'd sit there and drink a six-pack of O'Doul's while he downed a 12-rack of Coors. And, like, that was just a normal um, day, you know, after preschool for me. And, um, and, and it became pretty standard, right? And that's not why I'm an alcoholic. But but what that did was that taught me an experience of, of that was what it was like to be a man. You know, I would carry that with me for quite some time. You know, whether it was 12 years old and him pouring cherry rum down the ice luge at my brother-in-law's mom's house, um, you know, at the engagement party, or, or you know, Southern Comfort, you know, when I'm 13 on the boat and peppermint schnapps and, and throwing me into the Pacific Ocean because he thought it was funny. Um, you know, and like, and like that was just a standard life, you know, that's what it took, um, you know, that's what it took to become a man for me. And, um, and what I found in that process and what I found in those, in those couple of experiences with alcohol was that when, when I put alcohol into my system, the things that were going on around me seemed to, seemed to be that much better. Everything seemed to just be okay. You know, and, and it didn't take me long to realize that. And so I wasn't a, you know, I wasn't in a, I wasn't a daily drinker from the start, right? My first drink was, was somewhere around nine or ten years old. Um, 
you know, and uh, and I would drink whenever I could get my hands on it. But I I definitely couldn't get my hands on it every day, right? My my story includes a lot of other things, um, you know. But what I found in that experience was some sort of freedom, right? What I found in that experience was some sort of solution that seemed to fix what was going on inside of me that I couldn't quite understand, you know. And um, and it didn't take very long until I got to that point where I where I had reached a, a point of daily drinking, right? So I'm um, you know I'm, I'm 16 years old and. Uh, I'm drinking 151 and smoking crack cocaine, and and I can't seem to like get it together, right? And I I go into a psychosis, and I end up in a, a psych ward in Kirkland, Washington, um, called uh, Fairfax, and um, and you know, and there was my first introduction to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, and so so I got in there, and I and I I had been taken into an AA meeting, and um, and I sat next to this this hippie with dreadlocks. Um, you know, that had been homeless for the four years prior to him being in the psych ward with me. And, um, and you know, and I, I sat in that meeting and I did exactly what, you know, you guys told me to do in Alcoholics Anonymous. I got a sponsor. It was this guy, you know, that knew where they stashed the Lucky Charms and, um, you know, when they restocked the yogurt and, and had better ideas about how to get money um, and what to do to, to stay loaded when I got out of there. You know, and um, and that would be my experience for a few odd treatment centers slash jail trips um, throughout the time, right? And um, my alcoholism wasn't pretty. You know, what I what I found was that I I kept grasping at all of these external fast factors. I grasped at the money. I grasped at the women. I grasped at all the things that I saw other people with that I thought would make me feel whole. And for some reason, it never seemed to work, right? For some reason, no matter what I got, no matter the job, no matter the car, you know, no matter the new place to live, um, you know, no matter, you know, how, how well I was able to put everything together on the outside, something just didn't quite compute, you know, and, and I couldn't find, I couldn't find happiness. And, um, and it, it was the thing that it had been escaping me for so long, right? I, uh, I arrived at Alcoholics Anonymous and, and I really, I just, I hated humanity, you know. I hated myself more than anyone else, um, you know. And I, I hated the things that I had done, right? So, so a couple stories of what I was like, you know. Um, sometime in 2013, I I was at a bar with one of my buddies, and um, and you know, and and his sister's the bartender, and she's serving his drinks, and we go to get on the we go to get on the road to uh, go get some some party favors, right? And, and we're coming up on these railroad tracks that are like right next to my parents' house, you know, um, like 22 years old. And, and I'm, I'm coming up on these railroad tracks at like 90 miles an hour and there's another car coming up on the railroad tracks and they intend to slow down and I intend to jump um, the railroad tracks and, and I jump them and like land on the, the trunk of their car and, and the last thing I remember was throwing the car door open. Um, you know, I was throwing the car door open and... Um, and I blacked out, you know, and I was gone. And I wake up strapped to the hospital bed, um, you know, in, in uh, Cascade Hospital in Arlington, Washington. And, like, I got these people holding me down and, and everything's miserable, right? And, and all it is is their fault, you know. If you guys would just let me go, just take this catheter out, like, things would be all right. You know what I'm saying? And... um and I got this nurse, you know, at my head trying to tell me to calm down. And she's got her hands around my head and she's, she's pressing down with all of her weight. And I, like, spit on her, you know. And um, I spit on her 
and she lifts herself up off the ground with my head and and you know forces me into submission um something that i would i would later come to learn about in alcoholics anonymous and um you know and and i i just can't seem to i just can't seem to get a grip right and and I kick the wall because I can get like one foot off to the side, you know, and I knock the, the whole bed over and now I'm dangling, cuffed in all fours to this bed sideways, you know, and I look in the window of the, uh, you know, I look in the window and my sister's standing there with my baby nephew on her hip, right? And the doctors go to leave and the nurse goes to leave and they, they let my sister walk in for 10 seconds and all she can say is you're not even human. She said, who are you? You know, and I tell her I don't love her and to get the fuck out. Because that's the kind of man that I am. You know, and uh, we fast forward a little bit, you know, to uh, collecting unemployment against my dad's machine shop because uh, I can't not nod off in front of a machine and, and he can't have me working there and risking the entire livelihood of my family. And uh, the unemployment checks are going to my mom's house because I'm homeless. Um, you know, and I, and I can't afford a mailbox and, and my mother doesn't want to give me the check cause she doesn't want to watch her son die, you know? And, and so I, I don't have too many options, right? Uh, we be in mom's house or, or, you know, we take the easier, softer way and we call the Snohomish County PD and tell her, tell them that, uh, you know, my mother's withholding mail and I'm pretty sure that's a federal offense, you know? And, uh. And I show up in this parking lot of the BECU, you know, to get this check from my mom after she called me in tears, you know. And the cop rolls by and he looks at me and he's like, son, if I didn't know how big of a piece of shit you were, I'd pick you up right now. And, um, you know, I get the check from my mom and I go in there and I, and I cash it and I, and I go straight to the liquor store and I get back on the grind and I do what I do because that's the only thing that I know how to do. You know, and... Um, and somewhere along the way, right, in 2015, I had, I had put a few of the pieces back together. You know, I was back in Washington for, for time number like five. And, uh, and you know, I had the job. I, I had the, the little beater car. You know, I had the, the roommate situation that was going all right. And I, and I thought I had a few things going on. You know, and I'm, and I'm in this situation, and, and I'm flat broke, and I'm... And I'm drinking more than I can make and uh and my uh you know my mom had had cut ties my sisters had had cut ties right I wasn't invited to the engagement party and um you know I I, I wake up one day and I and I call one of my sisters and I'm like I'm starving like I haven't ate in like six days and like I think I'm gonna die you know and the only thing that they can do um is they have my my mom's aunt, my great aunt, who like bakes zucchini bread and cookies and like all this this stuff, right? And she like airdrops a package on my doorstep of like chocolate zucchini bread and and cookies and just all this random stuff, right? Because they can't give me money and like they can't stand the sight of me to feed me on their own and they don't want me to die, you know? Because because what I do in my alcoholism is I tear apart the lives and the hearts of everyone that I come into contact with. Everything that I seem to touch burns to ash. And um, and I get this stuff in the house and I set it up on the stove all like, 
you know, in a nice castle-shaped pyramid so it looks fancy, and I take a picture, and I post it on Facebook, like, check me out. You know what I mean? And, and little little does the rest of the world know that the person behind that camera, um, you know, taking that picture is, is dying of alcoholism. You know, little does the world know that I'm emaciated, you know, that I haven't eaten in days. And that that's not a... That's not a grandiose batch of, of bread and cookies right there. That that's the only thing that I have to survive. You know, and a couple of days after that, in a blackout, my uh, my mom and my sister convinced me to to go to treatment one more time. And I don't know this, so so you know, six days post haste, I I wake up on a park bench in Los Angeles from a blackout. And, I, and I'm standing there, and, and I got a, a Martin Luther King school on one side of me, and I got an Outback Steakhouse on the other side. And it's really warm for the end of October um, because it was freezing cold in Washington, and I don't know where I'm at. And I get up off the bench, and I, and I turn to the Outback Steakhouse, and I walk in, and I walk straight to the bar, and I order a drink. And then I call my mom. I didn't call my sister. I didn't call my family. I didn't ask where I was. I didn't check, you know, for any any sort of of life, right? What I did was was I searched for King Alcohol because the only thing that I knew that would allow me to make it one more moment was the only solution that I had ever known. And um, and you know, eventually I I send out a phone call to you know, to my mom, and my sister answers her phone, and she, she says that you were supposed to be in treatment, and the last thing that this family has to offer you is getting your body sent back and buried next to your brother. And she hangs up. You know, and I, and I don't know what to do at that point, so I sit there and I drink. And this guy gives me a call on the phone, and he, uh, you know, and he asked me if I, if I wanted to go to treatment, and I told him no. And he asked me if I wanted help, and I told him absolutely not. And after a, a few funny questions about where I was living and why it wasn't a good idea to sleep under the aqueduct, um, you know, he asked me if I wanted a bed to sleep in for the night, and that was the only thing that I could agree on at that time. You know, and so I I, I got an Uber from L.A. down to Dana Point, and I, I walked into this treatment center at like, you know, 11.30 at night um, on Halloween of 2015. And they, they woke me up the next morning at 6 in the morning and they rolled me out of bed and took me into this meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous at 7 in the morning. And I would love to tell you that I walked in and the sky opened up and, and life got good and God came down and touched me, but that wasn't the case. You know, I found a staircase on the in the back of the room and I, and I walked over to it and I laid down and I took a nap. You know, and I continued to do that for the next 45 days while I was in treatment. And um, and what happened uh, at that Outback Steakhouse that I have later come to identify um, through a little bit of step work and a few days of sobriety was was I had surrendered, um, you know, and I had surrendered on on a level that was spiritual and uh, and on a level that was subconscious that I, I didn't comprehend, and um, and those 45 days of laying on those steps, I wasn't thinking about drinking, I wasn't I wasn't thinking about running away. You know, the only uh, the only thought that that really had come to mind was, should I kill myself, or is this worth it? And um, 
and I continued in that misery for quite a while. I did what I do best. I, I picked up the pieces. I, I got a job. You know, I got a, I got a little hoopty. Um, I got a few dollars in my pocket. I put on some weight, you know, and I got to the point where, where, you know, everything on the outside looked good. But, but what was going on on the inside was starting to get really unbearable. What was going on the, on the inside was, um, you know, was that, that constant thought of being at the jumping off place. And so, at around five months of sobriety, or around five months dry, um, you know, I had a buddy grab me by the arm and, and walk me into a men's meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. And when I walked into that room, I met the man that would take me through the 12 steps. You know, and, and he came up and he introduced himself to me and he told me that he was my sponsor and he didn't, he didn't, um, you know, do it very nicely. You know, he didn't, he didn't pat me on the back. He didn't tell me that he was going to love me until I love myself. And if you need that experience, I apologize, but I, I apparently did not. Um, he, he told me that we were going to work through the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous as they're outlined in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And he proceeded to do just that with me. And, um, and we went down to the San Clemente Pier and we opened up the big book and he started to read word by word and line by line, um, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous as it was written. You know, and through that process, when we came upon an action, we took it. And, and I did this reluctantly. I did this thinking that it wasn't going to work. I did this with all the skepticism that I could muster. Because this was my last ditch effort, right? It, it came down to the point where I had two options before me. I could give this thing a genuine shot or I could kill myself. You know, I chose to give it a genuine shot, and the experience that I had was rather profound. I, uh, you know, I walk, I walked through steps one through three on that day, and and I and I hit my knees and I said these words to this thing that I didn't believe in, that I didn't believe was going to help me, um, you know, and that I had absolutely no faith in, based on, based upon, you know, the words that this man had told me out of the big book. Uh, and this, this slight, slight glimmer of hope that the chaos in my head might stop. And, and it did, right? And I went home, and he outlined the fourth step, and I, w I went home, and, and he, you know, I, I wrote it out in about two days. And I, and I turned back around, and I met him on that same bench at that same place, you know, three days later. And, and I told this person everything about myself. I told him everything that I was, exactly you know, how big of a scumbag I had been, um, exactly how fearful I had been that I could muster at that time. And, um, and you know, all of the things that I had done in my life that, that I was bound to, you know, that, that made me who I was. And, and, you know, I walked away from that experience and my head was quiet. You know, and I, and I had this sense for the first time in a long time that just maybe, just maybe, things were going to be all right. And uh, I realize I'm not the most chipper person in the world, so let's get to the, uh, the other side of the coin, you know. And, and what has happened, you know, since that process is I came into contact I came into contact with a power far greater than myself. I came into contact with a spirit 
you know, that has done the unthinkable in my life. And, um, you know, and at the bare minimum, that unthinkable is 1,225 days of sobriety because of my own accord, of my humanity, that was not possible. Of my humanity, um, you know, one hour seemed absolutely impossible. But when I did the work and when I, when I walked through the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, I, I had an experience that, that placed me in a position to, to build a conscious contact with something far greater than myself. Right? And as a result of that, I was able to build a connection with you guys. Because what I found in my experience in the, in the last couple years is that is that if I lose my connection to you, then I, I lose my connection to God. And if I lose my connection to God, then I lose my connection to you. And I can't do this without either one of those. You know, we, uh, we use the words unity, service, and recovery. Um, you know, and, uh, and what I found is that by walking into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and getting physically sober, you know, um, I was able, I was able to clear the way enough, right, that I could start to do some step work. And then I got inside of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous with a man who had had a spiritual experience, who had a working knowledge of that book. And I, and I had an experience of my own. And then having had an experience of my own, um, I was given the ability and the freedom to carry that message and to do just that with another man. You know, and that's really where my story begins. Um, you know, my story in Alcoholics Anonymous is is that I am selfish and self-centered to the core. It's that I'm terrified of of life, of you guys, and and of how to live. Um, you know, and it's that before I arrived here, I I had not much to offer anyone or myself. You know, and and as a result of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, I've been given I've been given the tools to have a life, right? I've been given the tools to be a part of society, to be a part of this fellowship, you know, to be a part of my family. And um and and I've been given I've been given this God. You know, and I want to talk about that for a little bit. You know, I uh I was talking to Scott before the meeting and and I woke up and I prayed and I meditated today and and I normally have a maelstrom of things that come to my head when I'm going to go talk somewhere. And, and there was nothing, you know, and I, and so I asked for direction for my day and I, I started to get up and do some things. I went to the gym, I was cleaning the house and, um, and, you know, and, and somewhere along the way, the intuitive thought came of, of the line out of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous that says, I'm the victim of the delusion that I can wrest happiness and satisfaction out of this world if only I managed well. And that struck me. Um, and that, that struck me at, at, at a few years of sobriety because I, I often feel that way. You know, um, it talks about snuffing out the last flicker of hope that I can do the job myself. And my experience has been that when I get a few things together, when uh, I get a new job or a new car or people start to say hi to me, I, I get this confidence, I get this ego, um, you know, that builds up and I, and I start to think, just for a moment, right, in the back of my head, that, that I might be able to do something, right, that Nathan might be doing something here. Uh, I got a hand in this, you know what I'm saying? Like, I need a pat on the back. 
Uh, and I get humbled very quickly. You know, because when I look at the the course my life has taken in Alcoholics Anonymous, when I look at at the things that have been accomplished, I think of the last promise in the ninth step, which is realizing that God has done for me what I could not do for myself. You know, when I got here, I was I was broken. I was exiled from my family. You know, I couldn't hold a job. I really couldn't do much of anything. And um, you know, in that same family that that had cut ties and 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 cut off contact, you know. Um, I'm now in contact with on a daily basis, right? And I had a couple stories about that as well. You know, I I got a few days of sobriety together, and um, and you know that engagement party that I wasn't invited to, uh, I I had to fly back up to Washington for so that I could be in my sister's wedding. You know, I got to sit inside of a casino with them while my whole entire family was blitzed. And, uh, you know, be the only person that could corral my aunts, like, you know, in any direction at one time. Um, you know, but, but the most important part about that is I gotta carry the principles that you guys gave to me in Alcoholics Anonymous into that situation, right? When nobody can control themselves and we have to be out of the church on time or, or we're gonna get charged more money, you know, I gotta go through all of the rooms and, and pick up the coats from the tuxes and, and pick up the, the stuff that the ladies had left behind and and put away chairs, right? Because what you guys taught me in Alcoholics Anonymous is to chop wood and carry water. You know, that that if nothing else, I show up and I and I be of service to my fellow man and through that process I gain access to this spirit. You know, and I and another one, you know, is um I'm a little over a year sober and and I'm I'm working five PM to five AM you know, Monday through Sunday at this machine shop and my grandma wasn't doing so hot and I get the phone call that, you know, I get the phone call from my mom that she had passed away and, you know, I, I get a fly up there and I get to carry this woman that, that I had dragged through the mud, you know, I get to, I get to carry her as, as we lay her to rest, you know, I get to, I get to be there and I get to hold my grandpa as you know, as he touches her head and just asks why he can't take her home. You know, and the man that I was when I arrived to you guys was incapable of those things. The man that I was when I arrived to you guys was incapable of compassion, was incapable of love. I was, if anything, a sociopath. And, um, and you know, and, and so later on that year, she passed away in March and and later on that year, you know, I uh, I had the opportunity to go home and to, uh, you know, be there for the holidays. I hadn't been at Thanksgiving in like nine years. I, I seemed to go to jail or treatment during the wintertime quite often. And, um, you know, I hadn't been at a Thanksgiving since I could remember. You know, my grandmother would always say grace and she would always, um, you know, lead the family. She's a very a very spiritual woman and I and I'm there and I'm trying to blend in um because I don't quite I don't quite feel comfortable um you know they are not you and you guys are who taught me how to love so I'm still I'm still sometimes working on that I'm still sometimes working on on what that looks like out outside of one alcoholic talking to another and um 
and my family gets up and the food's ready, you know, and I, and I go to get in this, this circle and my, my grandfather leans over to me and he asked me if I would say grace in my grandma's place, you know, and, uh, and I was able to say yes, and I was able to do that, you know, and, and when I look back at the, at the course of, of this journey that I've been on, if I hadn't arrived at the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous, and if I hadn't walked through the 12 steps, and if I hadn't been introduced to a God that I could talk to, that I could do business with, and that I believed in, I wouldn't have been in position to accept that request when it was made. You know, and I had little to nothing to do with that. I had absolutely little to nothing to do with that. You know, and, um, you know, and so sometimes I get lost in, um, you know, in, in a little bit of self while in sobriety and, and I can, I can question things and I can, I can lose sight of what's going on because life is not always rainbows and unicorns. And I get, um, you know, and I'm, and I'm in this spot about a year ago where, you know, I, uh, when I took two years of sobriety that November and I, and I went up to Thanksgiving, I got to see my grandmother's headstone for the first time, you know, and I got to go there, um, you know, and I got to, uh, I got to take my baby nephew that's like four years old, right? Um, I'm talking about a guy that, that had, uh, been arrested in front of almost every single one of his nieces and nephews, um, you know, that wasn't allowed anywhere near the kids. And I got I to gotta take my baby nephew by myself, um, you know, in my sister's car that the radio station was not allowed to be switched from the Christmas music station at the time. And, um, and so we're, we're driving up the mountain, you know, blasting this Christmas music, just singing our hearts out. And, and we stop over, um, you know, at the cemetery, and I get a, I get to see my grandmother's headstone for the first time, and I get to lean down, I get to give her a kiss, and I get to lay a two-year chip on her headstone. You know, and, and so we fast forward six months later, when, uh, you know, we're coming out of the winter, and I'm, and everything is gray for some reason. You know, my life just seems so gray, and and I'm I'm grasping at it, and I'm putting in the footwork, but but I have a disconnect from the spirit, and. uh and I'm driving down the hill from work, and and my sister sends me a, a text message um, after the snow had cleared, and it's a picture of my grandma's headstone with my two-year chip sitting on it. And in that moment, without a blink of the eye, all of the color came back. You know, and and I could see, and I could hear, and I could feel. And I knew that everything was going to be all right. And not that it was going to be all right, but that it already was. You know, and those are the experiences that, that Alcoholics Anonymous has given me. Those are the experiences that, that I have only been able to find as a result of the work that I put in here and as a result of, of the, the power that I came into contact with. You know, and my life today is hard to describe. And, um, you know, I couldn't have done this. Like, I could not have done this. 
you know, the, the, the man that had ran through his entire family, you know, that had, had burned every bridge that I'd came into contact with, that knew nothing but how to lie, cheat, and steal, has, has the ability to show up in the lives of, of so many people around him. You know, um, I've been blessed with the opportunity to walk some guys through the steps. You know, I've been blessed with the opportunity to see a man on day one, um, you know, shaking and his eyes going in different directions. And, um, and you know, and, and to watch him walk through this process and, and to come into contact with a God of, of his own understanding and and to see the miracle start to happen, right? And um, And what I learned... You know, is that the most magic that I have ever felt in my life so far, right, has has been in this short distance um, between one alcoholic talking to another. And that when I am in that position, I feel no closer to God. You know, and and when I'm in that position, I, uh, you know, I, I feel the sense of the Spirit. I feel the sense of peace, the sense of ease, the sense of comfort that I had been seeking for my whole life. You know, I spent my entire life chasing this destination that if I had just arrived somewhere, if I could just get there, everything was going to be all right. And what you guys gave me in Alcoholics Anonymous was the ability to be all right right now. It was the ability to experience the journey. And... um you know, I was nothing short of a disaster. But what I found, and, and um, you know, what I can understand today is the word grace. Because if I had gotten the life that I deserved, um, you know, I wouldn't be standing before you today. And and what but grace could have gave me the life that I do have? So thank you guys for my sobriety.